there are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. And so I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or, or experience that I think expands the conversation, as well as drawing on my own meeting and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years. I'll get to the program in just a second, but let me thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. They are the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search and find work close to home. Great partnership. Thank you, Jobbing.com. With us this week, I have Ed Kless, who is the Senior Director of Partner Development and Strategy at SAGE. He develops and delivers curriculum for SAGE business partners on the art and practice of small business consulting, including the SAGE Consulting Academy, Business Strategy, and Customer Experience Workshops. Ed is the author of The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business in the Knowledge Economy, which is a compendium of a few of the episodes of his Voice America talk show, The Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, that he hosts with Ron Baker, founder of the Verisage Institute, where Ed is also a senior fellow. Today, Ed joins us from Dallas, Texas. Ed, welcome to Working on Purpose. Well, thanks, Elise. Thanks for having me. This is just great gobs of fun, right? This is just, I, I ha- can I just tell my listeners how I picked you up? And this is yeah, exactly sure. I picked you up because I, I got draft, I, I, I drafted off a fantastic event that you and, and Ron hosted here and actually Allen, Texas. Um, and I was so impressed with, with the, with the, with the, with the Verisage symposium that the two of you put on. And when I saw you speak and just how you interact with the crowd, I'm like, you got to come on my show, Ed. You just have to. So that's, Fill in the rest that I missed. What else did I miss about how I met you? Oh, uh, well, that, no, that's that's probably the gist of it. Um, you know, go Allen Eagles. So uh, we're 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 good to go on that. I'm I'm just happy to be joining you today, and and uh, this uh, it's it's fun to be in the same state, even though we're still on Skype. So <laughs> I know it's it's great. I love that. I absolutely love that. So before we get into the topics, I want to talk about about healing leadership. I want to talk about creating vision and strategy and consulting theory and practice. But before we do, would you just say a little something to our listeners? One of the things that just got me about you is just how you you literally skip and play through life and work. And so you had mentioned that the work that you do at Sage is just you just get to be you and they kind of pay you for it. So would you say a bit more about that? <laughs> Yeah, I and my my wife hates it when I describe it this way because she says it sounds a bit conceited and it sort of does. But I I don't know how I made this work, but in in my almost now fifteen years at Sage, I have somehow carved out a niche, and my my job is a, is effectively being Ed Class. That's what I do. Uh, where 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 else would you be able to you know host a radio show, do a podcast, go on speaking events at, all over the the country and indeed the world, um, and 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 get paid to do it? And I, I'm not exactly sure how I did it. It wasn't a conscious effort on my part, except to say that I really try to just focus on doing what I love doing. And let the rest follow. Um, I, I, I was hired at Sage to do something completely different, which was recruit partners for Sage. 
But then that morphed into just helping uh, our partners. This is organizations that either resell or recommend our software. And next thing you know, I, I, I turned this into this this great gig where I just have a lot of fun. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. I just love my job. Well, and that's another reason that I wanted to have you on the show, Ed, of course, is because you're literally, you really are kind of working on purpose. You're just kind of being you. And you, yep. and you get to walk through life like that, and somebody pays you for it. And I think most of us would like to be able to find a gig like that. So I, I wanted to be sure and have that be present for our listeners because I think it gives them hope that there really is a way for them just to, if they could, if they can find a way to target that and see where the value is for that, um, if they could find something like that, that would make, I think the world would be a better place if more of us could do that. I think you're right. And and by the way, I, I stole this. I, I, I saw an article I don't know, seven or eight years ago on this, I'm, I'm a huge uh, New York Mets fan. I'm originally from, from the New York metropolitan area, huge Mets fan. And, and, I, and I saw that the, the New York Mets had, had hired one of their, their aging stars, their people who, who'd, who'd been around for years in the 70s and even the early 80s, this guy by the name of Rusty Staub. Okay. Otherwise known as La Grande Orange. And they, <laughs> hired, they, they, they hired him to, to be Rusty Staub. That was his job title. Right. <laughs> in other words, he was he was a corporate ambassador for them. That's what he did. But it, but in this article, they said we hired him to be Rusty Stubb. That's what we hired him to do. And that that always stuck with me. And I don't know, I guess it, that, that just has played into how I've gone about doing what I do is that, you know, I focus every day on on being the best ed class I can be. And it seems to work out. So, oh, my gosh, Ed, I love that. And if I remember it, I'm going to I'm going to pull out a book that I'm reading right now that gets to just that very thing, being the best version of ourselves, by the way. It's just awesome. So maybe on the next break, I'll, I'll grab that and just pull it out for our listeners since you brought it up. But before sure. we get to that next break, let's talk about leadership. And specifically, you mentioned healing leadership and you, you had me at healing. I'm really interested to hear your perspective on this. Ed, what do you got? Yeah, this is this is a topic I'm extraordinarily passionate about, and it was first shared with me by a, uh, or still my mentor, a guy by the name of Howard Hansen, who's written a book called Healing Leadership, with his uh, now deceased partner uh, Steve Jeske, and it's a double entendre. Uh, it's a double entendre in this word. It, healing leadership means that leadership itself, as a concept, needs to be healed. It's mm. it's broken. Mm-hmm. It's really broken, and it needs to be healed. It needs to be fixed. And the other thing, the other the other meaning of this phrase is that when done correctly, leadership inside business organizations can be healing. We can actually heal some of the wounds that people bring with them to work uh, if if leadership is done well at work. In fact, Steve, who, who, as I said, has now, has now walked on, as as, uh, as Steve wanted us to say about him. Uh, he he believes that the only place where we can have healing in the world is in small and medium business. So, or I should I should say this: entrepreneurial businesses. And his rationale is this, and I think this is absolutely fascinating. Every other institution that you can think of, government, uh, certainly. Um, not even most not not for profits, large not for profits. Um, the the churches, uh, synagogues, temples, uh, they they are all interested in preserving the status quo. That's mm. what their job is. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. I can see and, that. And, yep. 
and and large organizations become the same thing, right? Over time, the larger the organization becomes, the less entrepreneurial it is, and therefore it is becomes more interested in preserving the status quo. So therefore, they they cannot break out of the mold of preservation of the status quo because that's what they're there to do. That's what they exist to do. Now, in some cases, there's nothing wrong with the status quo. Like the you know the Catholic Church, for example, has been around for two thousand years and they've preserved themselves pretty well, uh, weathering lots and lots of storms over the course of those two millennia. But the the point is is that they can't get out of this notion of of not preserving that that status quo, preserving the past. And entrepreneurialism is about the future and about changing things. And if you're and, and and because of that, it's only the entrepreneurial organization that can really be the place where healing leadership can take place. Okay, this is fascinating. So this is not quite what I expected you to say, but I well, I don't know what you were gonna say, Ed, actually, but um, that's why I asked you the question. What's healing leadership? I, I thought that you were going to talk a little bit about just how it is that leaders can really cultivate um, the best in people, et cetera. And I think that's probably part of what you were saying there. But yeah. the, the other piece that I wanted to get to from our vantage point at Insignium is we're really big on the notion of inspirational leadership and the idea that so much of leadership today is so flat and lacking inspiration. Now, if we add the healing piece to that, I, I really like that. I've never heard of this before, Ed, but I like mm-hmm. it. It makes sense to me. And um, so you said they, they, it was Howard Hansen was the name of the Hansen, person who wrote yep. the book. Okay. H a n s e n, not o n e n. Okay. Uh, and, and I'll and certainly happy to send you a, a, a link to it. You could you know put it up if you have show notes or whatever on, on that. But um, and we we've actually had Howard Howard on the show on our show a couple times too. So that might be interesting to to listeners to 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 tune in. But. Here, here's where Howard and Steve got their inspiration from. That this, you know, the, there's there's several links here. Uh, it, the 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 book that inspired them is called um, "A Failure of Nerve: Leadership mm. in the Age of the Quick Fix" by Edwin Friedman. Uh, Friedman was a, or he, because he's deceased too, is a, was a family therapist. And he, he's the one who really came up with this discovery. And in fact, he loves the word inspiration. In, inspiration, by the way, uh, means to breathe life into. Yes, I know. Right? I love that. So, um, so it's a great it's a great word for it. So, to, to it's a it's about breath to you know to breathe into. Uh, but but Friedman's famous quote is this. The colossal misunderstanding of our time, first of all, I love that word colossal. The Me colossal too. misunderstanding of our time is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. Ugh, wow. And yeah, and that that's one of those statements that you read that and you go, okay, it, it the, the light really does suddenly come on. And it's this whole notion that look, with, and and if you think about it, in your in your personal relationships, whether this be a spouse, significant other, children, uh, you know, especially teenage children or adult children, um, in our in our workplaces, in our communities, in churches, even in international relations, right? Um, th- this quote is true. I mean, after all, just not to get political, but but you know, back in the the the, the Gulf War or the or the, the Iraqi War, what. What what did Saddam Hussein miss about if you don't let the UN inspectors in, we're taking you out? 
<laughs> right? What did he miss? Right? So it, it's a great example of he the, 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 he was unmotivated to change. It, so even it, no, it doesn't matter what the insight is going to be. There's no there's nothing that you can say to someone who is unmotivated to change that's going to give them that sudden spark. Right. So I don't I don't believe that we can motivate others. Um, I don't I don't believe that that uh, accountability is something that is imposed. Right. Accountability has to be chosen. I choose to be accountable to other people. People can't make me be accountable. That's that's one of the most ridiculous notions that's taking place in modern business. There's this I, I, I hear it all the time in meetings. How do we get those people to be accountable? You, you don't. You don't get them. You do what you're talking about, which is inspire people, and if so, they choose to be accountable. I completely agree with that. And what I what's coming into my head as you talk, Ed, and I, I knew this was going to be a yummy, juicy conversation, so thank you already, um, <laughs> is, uh, is this whole idea of the push-pull motivation. So when, it's like when we're having a conversation with somebody and that other person says something interesting, we can't help ourselves. We lean into it, right? We lean into the mm-hmm. conversation. And that's what I'm getting when I hear you talk is when somebody – is incented or motivated to change or or wants to be accountable, they're leaning into that situation or that 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 opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's how I'm seeing it. Yeah, and and Friedman then goes further. He says, well, if that's true, if the colossal misunderstanding of our time is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change, if that's true, then what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> right? What What do you do? But because the because the, the the reaction is, but I want to change people. You see, <laughs> that's what I want. I want to <laughs> I I, I, I want to fix my teenage son who's you know having a problem with alcohol or drugs or it has a bad girlfriend or something. Right? I want I want him. To, I want to manipulate him. Right? And the and and Friedman's answer is very simple. He says, look, this this here's all you can do. If you are interested in continuing the relationship. Remain connected to the person and work on changing yourself rather than trying to change them. I like that. That's it. That's I it. Like That's that. all you can do. <laughs> and, and But people are like, well, what else is there? What's the five steps, right? What's the, what's the clickbait response? Right, what are, yeah. What are, the, what, are, what are the three things that every leader needs to know? No, that's it. And and then, and then Friedman says, and, if you, and here's, here's the tough love portion. If you don't care about... The relationship. If the relationship has become too far toxic, too toxic, then you just end the relationship. That's your only choice. I really get that. Oh my gosh! And I can tell you that I've had a personal recent example of having to do that. And it's it's hard. It's really hard to end a, a toxic relationship like that in the business sense. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so important for for cleaning. Oh my gosh! So going back to the healing piece of what you've been talking about, can you? kind of help us tie together some of those concepts for our listeners. Yeah, sure. And and the notion is is that that leadership as that, that with that being the foundational principle is about being a a non-anxious presence. Mm, right? Wow, that's great. Um and uh, Howard and Steve have this great two by two. You know, you have anxiety on one side, so either anxious or non-anxious, and then the other the other one is present and non-present. And then he said those those they believe those are the four types of leaders. So what you're looking for is you're looking for people who are non-anxious but present, right? So don't don't hype up the anxiety, but rather lower the anxiety uh, in, in a situation, but are also fully present and there, 
Mm. And that's what we shoot for. Now, what, what's great about this is they say that there are extraordinary problems with this. Uh, a, a non-anxious present leader should expect sabotage from mm. others. Interesting. Why? Because, because uh, people who are, who are anxious want to enroll others in their anxiety. So true. That's what oh they want to do. <laughs> so that you should expect sabotage. That's, that's going to be part of it. If you're leading well, there is going to be high amounts of anxiety. There is going to be uh, a sabotage from other people. There is going to be conflict. That, that, and that means you're leading well. Wow. So that is so great for our listeners to hear. Uh, this is great. And it's probably shaking a few of them up. So, And believe it or not, can you, if you can imagine, we've already blown through our first segment here. It's time for a break already. <laughs> wow. I don't know how it happens, right? It evaporated. So I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Ed Kless, who is the Senior Director of and Partner, excuse me, the Senior Director of Partner Development and Strategy at SAGE, where he develops and delivers curriculum for SAGE business partners on the art and practice of small business consulting. He is also the author of The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business in, in the Knowledge Economy, which is a compendium of a few of the episodes of his Voice America talk show of the same name that he hosts with Ron Baker. We've been talking a bit about his perspective on healing leadership. And after this next segment, we're going to talk about vision and strategy. Stay with us. We'll be right back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Are you ready to tackle the rules of business? You may think you're doing everything by the book, following your own best practice beliefs, bringing in endless consultants, only to find that your business is not moving forward. That's where you need to stop and figure out where things are going wrong. Enter Business Rules with host Peter Feinstein. Peter and his guests will break it all down for you to help you and your business succeed. Listen Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. It's time to live the life of inner peace that you deserve. Tune in every week for Sacred Exploration with host Lisa Tremont Oda. You can discover the you that has been kept hidden all this time. Show off your personal gifts to the world. Lisa and her guests will combine health and spirituality to bring you the experience that you've been waiting for. You'll enjoy this journey every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's sure to be a nourishing experience. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. 
Again, that's one 346 9141 You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Ed Kless, who is the Senior Director of Partner Development and Strategy at SAGE. He develops and delivers curriculum for SAGE business partners on the art and practice of small business consulting, including the SAGE Consulting Academy, Business Strategy, and Customer Experience Workshops. Ed is the author of The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business in the Knowledge Economy, which is a compendium of a few of the episodes of his Voice America talk show of the same name that he hosts with Ron Baker. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Ed, we were talking before about um, your your notion of healing leadership, and I, and on our, on the break, I wanted to make sure that there wasn't something else you wanted to present. So, there was one more thing you wanted to talk about. What is? Yeah, it? and I, I I mentioned I mentioned the a word anxiety, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that because that that I think is the one of the more important things that we need to recognize in, in business and leadership today, and that is anxiety of, of different situations. Um, anxiety and creativity are always inversely proportional to each other, right? Mm. The, 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 the more anxious you are, the less creative you will be. Yep. And, and you can't turn on creativity. In fact, trying to turn on creativity makes you more anxious, right? You go, oh, I need to be creative now! Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that 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 doesn't work. But what we can do is we can lower our anxiety about situations. Now, anxiety and stress are not the same thing either. That's another thing that people mistake. Right. You can you can still be in a highly stressful situation, but lower your anxiety. And I, I want to give probably the the one of the most famous examples of a person who is able to do this. And it, this this guy's name is Chesley Sullenberger. Does that ring a bell for you, Elise? Certainly does. They got the land of the right. lane on the Hudson River. You bet. Ab- absolutely. And he, this is this is perhaps the the greatest example that I've ever encountered of of a non anxious presence, uh, literally healing leadership, and that he saved lives, um, and, and and an ability to self regulate and lower one's. Uh, level of anxiety, uh, you know. He he. If if you listen to the some of the cockpit recordings of what happened, it was just absolutely incredible. He at one point turns to Jim Skiles, the co-pilot, and and Skiles, um, who was actually flying the plane, and turned it back over to Sullenberger after the the bird strike. Um, and Skiles has this real, real deep baritone voice, but when he's but he says your airplane like that <laughs> um, <laughs> when he when he's turning over the controls and. And Sullenberger uh, tells him, Jim, execute the ditch checklist. Now, the ditch checklist was meant to be uh, executed from 35,000 feet, right? Not not like, I think, 4,000, which is where right. they were. Right. <laughs> so really what he was doing, he was, he was just giving Skiles something to do to stay out of his hair, right? That's what he was doing. Interesting. Right? He's, just, he's, like, he's like, I've got to do this. So let me, let, let me take this obviously anxious person. And give him something to do. This is what I think, by the way, that that obstetricians do with with uh, with spouses when 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 one of them's having a baby, yep. right? They 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 put they put them in charge of the technology. Go look at the fetal monitor, you know. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> right, get him out of my hair. All yep. right. <laughs> Right. So anyway, so but Sullenberger then goes about the the business of, as he puts it, successfully crashed the aircraft. I love that term, successfully crashed. By the way, we need to do more in business. We need to successfully crash things better. Mm, right. I like that too. Um, 
but but <laughs> that one if you you can look this up, there's a 60 minutes episode that was dedicated entirely to the, this the miracle on the Hudson, I think it was called, and and Katie Couric, uh, being the great interviewer that she is, at one point asks uh, Sullenberger, she says, um, Sully, at, at any point did you pray? Mm-hmm. And he says, No, ma'am. <laughs> There were 150 people behind me taking care of that. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. I am certain of that. Yes, it's so great. His his job was to successfully crash the aircraft. That was his job. Not to pray. Praying would not have helped. Right? (laughs) Not him, (laughs) because that was not his job. (laughs) Right, right. Right? Oh, this is fascinating, Ed. I love this. Okay. So anyway, so that that that's the point I wanted to make is that this that we in business what we have to do is focus on lowering our overall level of anxiety and 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 that that is really the the key to to can we be aware of our anxiety and can we begin to then self regulate and lower our anxiety in difficult situations? I think that is so brilliant. What a fantastic point! I'm so glad that you made that. That is that is that was worth the price of admission right there, Ed. Thank you. <laughs> whatever that price was yes um, okay uh really quick i did find the book that i mentioned before it's called perfectly yourself nine lessons for enduring happiness by matthew kelly and i'm reading it in preparation for another interview that i'm doing so it's it's related to what you said about you just getting to be ed class and getting paid for it so it, it gets very much to this idea of becoming more of yourself over time to become happy so Obviously, you are uh, a somebody who uh, embodies that, Ed. So here we go. <laughs> well, <laughs> <Okay>. thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You ready to move on to creating vision and strategy? That was the second thing we wanted to talk about. You ready? Yeah, yeah sure. sure. Let's do it. What you got? Th- this is another area that I've, I've spent uh, a lot of time working with many, many organizations on doing, and that is creating creating vision and strategy in their organizations. Um, the, the, let's first talk about the, vis, the vision piece. And, and uh, it, it, might, it might sound quaint, but I really do think that, as Proverbs says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I, and I think that most organizations, when they lose their shared vision, or they lose sight of their shared vision is the day that they really begin to to, to wither and die. Mm-hmm. Some some fortunately do get it back, right? But 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 very very few are able to maintain a focus on vision for, for in the long haul, and that, which is why I think it's critically important work. So people who are starting out, entrepreneurs ne- need to develop. Uh, this sense of shared vision and shared vision really has three components to it. Um, and th- th- these are these are kind of the traditional terms, but there are other there are other other terms that are also used to describe this. And that is uh, mission, vision, and values. Right. The yep, first is yep. the, the you know mi- mission is what you know what why do we why why does every why do we come into work today to do what right and it can't be make money because that's a result that's just a result that's not that's not a cause right. So what, why, why do we come in, why do we all come into work today, everyone in the organization? And it, you, it has three really subcomponents, which is um, wh- what do we do, who benefits from what we do, and sometimes how do we do it, right? And those are the, the three quick pieces of, of getting that, that vision piece. And then the next component, of course, is the values. And these are sometimes words or phrases that just embody 
uh, what the organization is. And, and it, not surprisingly, many organizations have similar sets of values, the you know, honesty, integrity, um, velocity I've seen, uh, do, you know, tr- treat customers well, uh, try to make money and have fun, right? These, these would all be examples of it. But to me, what's most important about the, the values and mission piece is not what they are, but what they do. And, and by that, I mean, how are they used on a regular basis inside the organization? It, it, you're, every, every person's company probably has a mission and values somewhere. It, you just go to your, if you don't know what it is, go to the about page of your own company's website and you'll find some infinitive, right? To create, to implement, to assist, to whatever. That's usually how it, how it begins. And anyone in the organization can do this. It does not require that somebody be a top level executive in order to make this happen. But if you can find out what the mission is of the organization and begin to use it in everyday conversation, you'll begin to see a difference made in the organization. And the way it works is this, is when, when somebody or someone or some group makes a decision that seems to be at odds with either the mission or values of the organization, then, then someone has an obligation to say this, help me understand how this decision we just made is in alignment with our value, let's say, of putting customers first. Yep, I see that. And that's the conversation. Those are the conversations that need to be had, right? Um, tying this back in, it requires a low level of anxiety to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. And to be <laughs> present for them, yes. And to be present for them. Mm-hmm. And, and what I think is important to note here is that th- this is not something, and I'm going to repeat this, this is not something that only people who are executives in the organization can do. Agreed. Anyone and everyone, I, I believe, has an obligation to, to bring these conversations to the forefront. Now, understand that this is about healing leadership and leading well, and, and, and th- there will be sabotage. And don't be surprised if the sabotage comes from leadership and ma- management of the organization. Because remember, sometimes they get entrenched and their, their job is to, pr- is to preserve the status quo. I want to I want to ask something really quick on that on this on this front end. This is that's just really churning for me in terms of the sabotage stuff. So you're saying that that you know, to expect that. So clearly there is a there's a I think what you're suggesting is that there's some kind of a, a of a positive contribution by the sabotage. What what can we get through the sabotage efforts if we're if we if we're a leader in managing that well? What can we get? It's very similar to a virus in the body, right? Um, and that v- viruses and anxiety and, and therefore saboteurs work work very much like that. Um, it, it, you know, we get we get inoculated right against stuff. So we, we, we in uh, the you know the way that we we've rid the human population of of uh, of uh, uh, smallpox was through injecting at first ver- a, a, a smaller version of cowpox and then better and better vaccines. Right. So. Non-anxious present behavior is like a vaccine. Yes, it gives you a sometimes a lighter form of the disease. So in other words, it brings 
it brings the anxiety to the forefront, it, it, but it gives the opportunity for the conversation to be had that allows you to your the the body that is the corporation, and I use that word um, in, on purpose to to uh, rid itself of the more toxic virus. Okay. Right. Does that make sense? It I, I, does, I, and play, it's I've never down. heard of anything like this, and that's I'm really really intrigued by this. This is really really an interesting, stimulating conversation for me. Ed. I like it. Thank you. Yeah. No. This is this is this is this is some important stuff. <laughs> it really is, um, and I'm, I'm I'm proud to share it with you and 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 your listeners. I hope I hope it's helping people. By the way, it's not for everyone. There are a lot of people who, when I present this material to. Um, outright reject it and are do not like it at all and I and one of the things I when I talk about healing leadership and I do a presentation on it usually about 10 minutes into the presentation I will take a break and pause and see if there's anybody who wants to leave the room because there are there there are many people who are are so turned off by this notion and get upset that I think they need to go they need to to take care of themselves and I say, look, I won't be offended if you leave if this is not for you. <laughs> so, well, what percentage of people oftentimes find themselves? Um, I yeah, it's 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 I, I, that actually leave. It's probably ten percent. I think. Wow, who- really? Ten percent? That's quite a bit. Yeah. So, so here's what's great about that, Ed. In terms of certainly being a leader yourself, then is to be able to make people uncomfortable enough with a new topic, to get them really considering and examining their for with, within their own inquiry, their perspective and their experience of leadership is is in and of itself, I think, a tremendous contribution. Yeah. No. It's always it's always great to question your your own self, right? You know, it's a. Uh, I, I, I do you know, do you know, have you ever heard of the Turing test? I have, but tell me again more about it because I, I so I, yeah the I the, Tur- the Turing it. test was I think Alan I think it's Alan Alan Turing Albert, yep. Mm-hmm. Turing yep uh, who who d- developed some of the early um, computer programs and 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 stuff and was is very influential today with the with the the coming about of artificial intelligence he developed a test which was if if you can fool a human being by a computer th- to think that what you're talking to is another human being right. That then you pass the Turing test, right? Interesting, that, that's the, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so that that's that's the Turing test. So the, the this notion of um, uh, anxiety is is sort of like that. Is is can can we can we can we fool people in or or can they best state the best objection to? To doing something in an organization, right? If you if you can take the other side of a particular issue, and make somebody on your side think that you're on the other side, then you pass the test. Got it. I think that is gorgeous. I totally, really appreciate that. And in part, and this may not be an immediate, obvious thing to you, Ed, but my bachelor's and master's degrees are both in liberal studies. And one of the things that I pride myself in is that I for the most part, believe that I can be able to look at two very distinct perspectives and see the value in each of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's something to that. Not always. I can't tell you that that's always true, but th- but I do pride myself in at least trying to do that. 
Yeah, no, it's it's a good thing to be in. And and look, this is this is hard stuff. And just to you know talk a little bit about relate these two topics together. But you know the notion of of healing leadership and then th- th- this piece as well, which is about vision and strategy and taking the other side as people. Um, I'm going to say I only get it right about three out of ten times. <laughs> but but the point is, but the whole point is that you're you're trying to get it right, right? That's, That's right. the whole perspective right. here. Yeah, I got it. Well, believe it or not, we ran out of time again, Ed, for this segment. Can you hang on to that topic for just a second? If we want to see more about that, we'll grab it after the break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Ed Kless, who is the Senior Director of Partner Partner Development and Strategy at SAGE, where he develops and delivers curriculum for SAGE business partners on the art and practice of small business consulting. Ed is the author of The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business in the Knowledge Economy, which is a compendium of a few of the episodes of his Voice America talk show of the same name that he hosts with Ron Baker. We've been talking this segment about creating vision and strategy. After the next break, we're going to talk a bit more about consulting theory and practice. Stay with us. We'll be right back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions, some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. We all have unique experiences and outlooks when it comes to leadership and team building. Yet sometimes we clash, even when trying to achieve the exact same goals. Check out Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. Your host is Dr. Cass Henry. A shared journey equals success, and every human interaction has the power to achieve this success by working together. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. 
Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Ed Kless, who is the Senior Director of Partner Development and Strategy at SAGE. He develops and delivers curriculum for SAGE business partners on the art and practice of small business consulting, including the SAGE Consulting Academy, Business Strategy, and Customer Experience Workshops. Ed is the author of The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business in the Knowledge Economy, which is a compendium of a few of the episodes of his Voice America talk show of the same name that he co-hosts with Ron Baker. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for this last segment here, Ed, I wanted to talk more about this notion of consulting theory and practice. And if we have time, talk a bit about pricing, because I know you've got a perspective on that. So, and you, you know, just as I just said in my introduction of you, you have been teaching business owners this whole concept for quite some time. So if you would start at a high level in terms of how you talk about consulting theory. Sure. And, and, for this, I'm I'm indebted to a guy by the name of Peter Block. Oh yes, uh, yeah. I think we we've t- we've talked about Peter Block. I think when we had we were able to have lunch together. Um, P- Peter Block is uh is the in my opinion the leading thinker on the art and practice of of consulting. What it means to be a consultant and his his two great books are Flawless Consulting. And then, of course, um, the answer to how is yes. He, but but I will say this. I think uh, there's maybe a half a dozen books by him. They're all terrific. So just Google or go to Amazon, type Peter Block and buy it. That's my <laughs> advice. Okay, good. I like that. <laughs> click, Direct into the point. One click. Yeah. Click one click. OK, uh, so so so. Let me let me start that at a high level with with the definition of consulting that I use, and again, th- courtesy Peter Block, and that is a consultant is a person who has some influence over an individual group or organization, but has no direct authority to make decisions. Mm. Right. Yes. And that that the, and the, the end of that making decisions is the key is understanding that you as a consultant do not ever make decisions on behalf of a, a, a customer. Now, Block will contrast a consultant with what, what he calls a surrogate manager. A surrogate manager is someone who acts on behalf of or in place of a manager in an organization, meaning they make this, they're, they're paid to make decisions, right? They might be temporary, they might be, so they might not be an employee of the organization, but they are paid to make decisions on behalf of someone instead. And I think it's an important distinction to make to decide which which are you? Are you a consultant or a surrogate manager? And if you don't like surrogate manager, substitute in a different term. It's just the the, the term that I use through Peter Block. Um, but I think what's important to note is that as a consultant, if you're truly in a consulting role, you do not ever make decisions, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Instead, what I suggest, and then this is this is the kind of my work on top of Peter Block's work is uh, you, you, what you do is use what I call the Ford model, F-O-R-D, and it has nothing to do with the car. I happen to drive Hondas myself, but F-O-R-D, um, and it's the, the F-O-R-D stands for findings, options, recommendation, and decision, right? And this notion that the, the, that the first three, the F-O and the R, are consulting levels. So I can go into an organization and I can ask, well, and 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 tell them, hey, listen, is this what you want from me? You just want me to come in and give you my findings. I'm going to ask a boatload of questions, and I'm going to ask a lot of questions to a lot of different people, and then I'm going to write up a report that says, here's what I found. This is the stuff, right? That's one level. The next level is, okay, do you want me to come in and do that? And 
then present to you some options for perhaps fixing some of the things that I found. Now, it's, it's important to note that there's not necessarily a one-to-one relationship between those two things, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be, you know, you could have many findings, but usually the, the, the options, my suggestion is, is that if you, if you present options, there should be no more than three. More than three starts to get confusing, right? So you might have three different options and they might solve some, most, or all of the, 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 the findings that were raised, Right, so that's the O, and that's the options. the The R then that's the next consulting level, and that's the recommendation. Would you like me to then, you know, tell you what I found, give you some options, and then make a recommendation based on the pros and cons, advantages, disadvantages, whatever you want to call it, of each of the options that I presented to you, right? And I will give you and I my, give you my rationale. And if I were you, I would do this, right? But notice that that allows us as a consultant then to stay away from the D because it's then the, it's then the, it's the customer's ultimate decision. They make the decision, right? You don't. And what I really like about this model is that it's, what I've described it here is it's very macro, right? You can see where you would use it on a large consulting organization, large gig, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but it's also true in a micro example. And let me give you one. Uh, I'll just use one from, from my industry, which is uh, implement, implementing accounting software, as nebulous as that, right? So, you know, when, when you implement a new accounting system, there are setup options. And one of the setup options might be, you know, keep history, Right, it's a little checkbox in the system that says "keep history." Right, let's apply. I'm going to apply the Ford model to this 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 checkbox. Right, so here's what I found. There's an option for you to keep history, yes or no. Right, and those are your options, yes or no. Right, um, it's my recommendation that you not check the box because if you do, it's going to slow your system performance down by sixty percent, and you really don't need. That all, all that that history because there's other ways we can get that information out of the system without tracking the history in the system, so it's my recommendation that you not check it. But it's your decision. Got it. Beautiful. Right? I I appreciate how that you you laid that out and gave us an application that's perfect. Okay. Yep. And so I think that what's important to note is that that really great consultants or people that that maintain this what I call a consulting relationship um, are able to maintain their ability not to make decisions. Uh, what, I, what I find far too often is that people who are in consulting roles get sucked into being a surrogate manager, right? They start to, they start to be, be being, they either st- are, are asked by the customer to make decisions or they just begin to make decisions on their own, right? Um, and by the way, the first one is called scope creep. That's where the customer is asking you for more stuff than right. you originally contracted for. Yes. The second, the second one is called scope seep, S-E-E-P. And that's when the, the consultant does more than what was contracted for because they think they're being a nice person. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> right. And what we have to do is a, a really a great consultant will maintain that, no, I don't make decisions and really continuously look for it, no, pushing it back. Now, alternatively, and this is where we can maybe I'll come back and talk pricing another day, but this is where pricing might be related to that. And that is that if you're a surrogate manager, I think that you should have a significantly higher price because it's a way more risky relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. 
whereas a, a consultant is less risky. By the way, this is just me personally. I, I detest the surrogate manager relationship. I, I, when I'm asked on a consulting engagement, I explain this theory to them and I say, listen, if you're looking for someone who's going to make decisions for you, I'm not your guy. <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, I, I don't I don't like that role. I think I, I personally think that I lose part of the power of me of my consulting ability if if I'm the one who ultimately has to then make a decision. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I maintain I maintain this arm's distance from decision. And, and the, the reason for that is and this, again, goes back to Peter Block is the the the, the prime directive, the prime behavior of consultants is what Block will call what Block calls authenticity, right? And that is being willing to say what you see, hear, and feel. I like that. That's so crisp, right? And 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 it's important because authenticity and honesty aren't the same thing either, right? You can be honest and inauthentic. Ooh, can you give us an example? Uh, sure. Um, somebody said that the, uh, the, the, the person that you're working with, so I'm the consultant that the person there comes over and says to me, um, you know, this, um, this implementation, uh, shouldn't take, take long, you know, two or three weeks and it should, should be, should be over. Um, don't disturb my people all that much because they've got a lot to do already. Uh, and, and then that's what they'll say. Right. Okay. Now, uh, a the uh, an inauthentic response, but truthful and but honest response would be to say to this person, you know, hey, your boss really wants this done, right? Okay. We we've got to get this done. Your boss is asking is 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 the one who's really driving this and wants to make this done, right? That's truthful, right? Or let's say it's truthful, right? Say the boss does want it want it done, and, and it's but it's not authentic because authentic doesn't de- it doesn't deal at all again with. I'm not being willing to say what I see, what I hear, and what I feel. And what I might feel is, this guy thinks I'm an interruption. <laughs> Got it. Right? So the authentic response is, um, you, you seem to be treating this as an interruption. If, if, this, if it is, perhaps we should reassess the timing. Hmm. So what's fascinating right. about this for me, Ed, listening to you talk, is that what we would say within an insignium is that we're, you're, also, you're capturing the foreground of the conversation as well as the background, the stuff that's swirling in, in the back that informs what, what is actually pre- presented in the foreground. That's fascinating. Yeah, that, that, that's a good way to put it as well. And what Block would say is it's your obligation as a consultant to, to bring those things to the forefront, to talk about those things. Mm-hmm. And, and when, when, you, when you see, hear, and feel them, you need to express them. That's, and that, that is what authenticity is. And Block would go further and say, that is what makes you a great consultant. That is where you derive your power, so to speak, as a consultant, is your, your ability to be completely authentic. Mm-hmm. And there, and that takes something, Ed. Right, to be able to live in that space and deliver consulting from that space takes something. It takes energy. It takes presence. It takes really paying attention, uh, and then and then being able to find a way to articulate what it is that you sense, feel, think, etc. And to to relate it back to our earlier concept, it takes it takes the ability to self regulate and lower one's own anxiety level about the situation. Um, one of the one of the the, the 
things that I talk about and when I, I've, I've done like a four or five day consulting class, and I must say this at least three times, and that is if you are conflict averse, if you, if you, if you get break into a sweat at the, at the thought of conflict situations, you should not go into consulting. Mm-hmm. I was actually just thinking the same thing when we were talking about, when you were talking about managing the anxiety piece, because it, I've certainly found myself in situations where what I found and then the options that I would present and sort of the recommendations I might make would be anxiety producing for me because they would all be hard. Mm-hmm. All those recommendations would be hard. Um, yep. And I can, so I really appreciate you presencing this for us because you're right, it's not for the faint of heart. And if you are conflict adverse or if it just, you know, really makes you break out in hives, probably isn't the best, best job for you. That, that's right. And, and to, to what I think the, the example is, is that many people who are, who have a high level of, of what is sometimes called domain expertise, what sometimes some of us would just call technical expertise, Right in a particular situation, whether it's an accountant, right, a high, who has a high degree of of accounting knowledge, a lawyer who has a high degree of understanding of the law, uh, a, a medical doctor who has a high degree of understanding of the human body and how medicines interact with one another, but it, that and those th- there are technicians, and I think that that technicians are great when we need technicians. We should have lots of technicians around, but great technicians don't necessarily make great consultants, right. Um, in, because not all consultants have the ability to to keep in equal proportion both the technical problem and the emotional well-being of the person that they're working with, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, a, and, a, and, a, and a consultant has to be able to manage both of those things, not just provide a technical solution, but also provide a technical solution and uh, be be able to uh, uh, effectuate the emotional well-being of the person with whom they're interacting. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate how you distinguish that, Ed, because I think you're absolutely right. Having that technical expertise in addition to really that emotional intelligence and depth is is critical. I completely see that. And I think that was important to presence as well for listeners who might be considering, maybe should I be a consultant or am I a good consultant or how could I be better? Yeah, yeah. And, and look, this, there's, there's, this is not a moral judgment against anybody. Right. It's this is this is just a and what I what I say after I mention that, hey, listen, if you're if you are if you're conflict averse now, by the way, you don't have to be Rocky Balboa. Right. <laughs> Looking for a fight. That's not that's not what I'm talking about. Right. But you just you just have to be comfortable in conflict situations. And I say, look, don't go into consulting, because if you do, you're going to die sooner. Like, right. right. You're going to die earlier in, than you should. I, I completely get that. And here we are, by the way, Ed. It's, we're coming to the, ed, the, the, the very end of the show, and I want to be sure and give you the last word. So if you want to finish that thought or say something else, but I want to make sure that I give you a chance to, if you will, give you the last word here and leave our listeners with whatever you think would be useful for them to help them better connect with their work in a more meaningful and productive way. What else would you like to say? Uh, first of all, I just I would just like to express my gratitude to you for having having me on the show. But then, um, and and in that vein, and to tie it together in a hopefully a nice little package, one of one of the ways that you can manage your own anxiety is to think about some someone or something uh, f- for for which or for whom you are you are grateful, um, and in thinking about that and thinking about gratitude. Um, that is a is a is a natural propellant or a, a, not propellant a, a natural uh, a natural way 
to to lower one one's own anxiety is think about gratitude. So thank you very much for for having me on your show. What a fantastic way to finish, Ed. No surprise. Thank you for being my guest. It has been a delight for me, and I've learned several things from you. So hopefully no bill coming in the mail. Thank you very much. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) All right. Great. And listeners, if you want to learn more about Ed Kless and all he's up to, you might just check out his blog. It's edkless.com. That's E-D-K-L-E-S-S.com. Or go to Twitter and follow him there. He's just Ed Kless. Join us next week for another nourishing conversation. And remember that work is one third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>